several years ago when I used to, used to lift the weights. Couldn't tell it now. <laughs> but I used to frequent the gym five, six days a week. And I'd done it for a lot of years. And in that process, there were certain, certain uh, positions, certain lifts that I focused on because I had got so much strength built up in them that uh, started to feel good. Different parts of my body muscularly were, were growing, and I felt like I was accomplishing something. And I got myself to a point to where one day, as I was working out my normal routine, I got an injury in my shoulder, and it hurt me for a long time. And I had to scale back in the gym, had to go to physical uh, rehabilitation for it and see a therapist, and she told me, and I'll never forget when I'm sitting in there, she said that uh, your muscles have become so imbalanced. Jeremiah, your, your uh, chest muscle and your shoulder muscles have become so thick and strong over time, but your back muscles are weak. And anyone that's ever lifted weights or done any type of exercise like that, there's a theory, it's called push-pull. You, you push one day, you pull the next, and it's, it's to even out your body and to work those muscles so that you don't become like I had become. Even though there were times that I focused on pull, but I didn't do it to the same intensity as I'd done the other, the other lifts that I like to do. And over a process of time, even though I looked strong and I had this physical appearance to the front when people would see me, there was a weakness in my life that they couldn't see that only I knew. And the Lord showed me this week. He said, Jeremiah, I think you're ready to receive what happened during that period of time. Now, I wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to receive it then because of my arrogance and pride. But He spoke as clearly as me and you sitting here this morning. He said, that was your position, not only physically, but spiritually in that time. I said, oh Lord, what do you mean? And he took me to uh, the account of Peter, and we're going to start in John chapter 21, of the life of a man, a disciple, that was similar to what I found myself, where I found myself, and the condition that I found myself physically, spiritually, some years ago, this man finds himself in, but he's unaware. It's brought to his attention later on in life as God has revealed to me this same truth. But in that process, Peter was kind of oblivious to what was going on. Even though Jesus, the Son of God, had come down from heaven and was ministering to him and had used Peter in a powerful way in ministry, there was something more that the Lord was trying to get out of Peter's heart so he could put him on a bigger platform so he could, he could take him to places otherwise I don't believe he would have ever went because he had this stigma. He had something in, in his mind that held him back. And we're going to look at what that is a little bit this morning as I explain to you a little bit about my life. But in John chapter 21, verse 20, starting in this chapter, Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee. And we know Peter's a fisherman. And, and Peter, this is after Jesus' death, burial, he's resurrected. And they're out 
basically they're in mourning for the Lord. Um, there's a lot of things that he had spoke to them about the kingdom being restored that they did not see at his death on the cross because they couldn't understand eternal things in that moment. Jesus was talking a language that they couldn't yet receive. So at his death, when they seen him put in the grave, they thought it was over. They thought that all the things that he had talked about was not going to happen. Because he had lost his life, what they didn't realize is in that process as, as the Father comes down and brings him back to life out of the grave and resurrected Jesus is now already showed himself, uh, so to speak, not in, in physical form, but they could, they could see, they got to see the nail prints in his hand. Thomas got to put his hand in his side and now Jesus is on the shore of Galilee, and these men have been out fishing. Peter, he takes them, and he's going and doing the only thing that he knows how to do, and that's fish. They've been fishing all night. And as they're coming close to the shore, the Scripture says that they hadn't caught any fish, they'd been toiling all night, and here a voice comes from the shore that says, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And they cast their net, and their net couldn't contain all the fish that they caught and they instantaneously knew that it was the Lord, it was the Master who was speaking to them. He'd already had them a breakfast prepared. He'd done fixed them a meal and he tells them to come in and to eat with them. And as they come in, Peter is talking with Jesus. And Jesus asked Peter three questions. Asked him, Simon Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he asks him, he says, then feed my sheep. And he goes and he asks him again, he said, Simon Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he asks him, he says, then tend to my sheep. All three of these questions. And he asks him again, he says, Simon Peter, do you, do you love me? And this time Peter's getting agitated. <coughs> and he's wondering, why does the Lord keep asking me? this question, and he says the same thing. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And, and, he's, and Jesus says, well, then feed my sheep. And three times, Jesus is trying to surface something out of Peter that he could not understand. And in the Greek, when you start looking at these words, love, see, there were many different usages of love uh, in this period of time, and two of them was philo, and one was agape, which has to do with God's love, but philo is a brotherly love. And each time that Peter replied to Jesus, he's saying, yes, Lord, I philo. I, I have a friendship with you. Jesus replies back, he says, oh, Peter, do you love me? He's saying agape love. This is, this is a love that Peter couldn't understand because agape love is sacrificial. Agape love takes something from you. See, Peter's version and vision of love of what he had ever known was to be a good friend. You can be a good friend and never sacrifice for somebody. Hey, and Jesus is asking him this, this question. He just could not comprehend it. And the Lord showed me something out of this. He's like, Jeremiah, this has been part of you in your life, in your ministry, as well as it was Peter's. And I believe all of us go through this process in order for God to bring us where He desires for us to be. 
And I, I believe in that moment, Peter was thinking, and there was mulling some things over in his head, and I believe that there was a lot of things going through his mind of past events that had happened just weeks and months prior. And as he finishes this statement, Jesus is, is talking with him for just a few minutes. And in verse 20, is where I want to get the context of our Scripture, it says that Peter turned around, and I'll read this out of the NLT, and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? And Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? It says, Peter turned and seen the disciple following. This was John, is who he was talking about. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved that laid his head on the breast of Jesus at, at the night of the Lord's table. And Peter, as he's just been asked these three specific questions in his life, and, and the Lord tells him, and I'm going to back up to verse 18, he says, I tell you the truth, Peter, when you were young, you were able to do as you like. You dressed yourself and went wherever that you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death that he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him to follow me. It's been my experience as I'm growing in this Christian life and I read this scripture, it becomes more alive to me because the longer that we start to study God's Word and the longer that we are in ministry, then we start to see this become a life in us. And I know last week I preached a message on the power of God. It starts with logos, it starts with the Word, and it ends in rhema, which is a life lived. It don't, it don't stay as just a knowledge. We don't just have a knowledge of God and we have revelation of God. It's meant to be expressed and showed to others and in the world and those closest to us. And see, Peter, he hadn't got this yet. He hadn't got this concept even, even this day. He's walking with the risen Savior. And I, I want to show you some things I believe was happening in Peter's life to see if you can recognize it in your own as that's what the Word of God is designed to do. The Word of God is meant to surface things within our heart, that we don't leave the sanctuary the same as when we come in, that we have an experience with God because we want to show Him in our life more and more each and every day. Even though we're not perfect, the Lord doesn't call us to perfection. He calls us to a place of direction, right? It's about our compass in life. What are we striving toward? I fail each and every day. My failures aren't the same as what they was eight years ago, ten years ago. But I still fail. You know, it's okay to fail, but it's not okay to stay in that same place of failing and never move toward, toward a better place and position in your relationship with Christ as a child of God. And uh, Peter, as, as he's standing here on this beach, I couldn't imagine the crushing weight that he felt as he's talking with Jesus, the Master, and the Lord is basically rebuking him. And, you know, he turns and he looks at this other man that's been following him for all this time, and he's like, well, what about him? What's he get by with murder? What? He's allowed to do whatever he wants, and here you're telling me i got to sacrifice more? Am I not the one that in <coughs> John chapter 8, John chapter 18, verse 10, 
in the garden when Judas gets the council together and they come up to arrest Jesus right as he goes to be led off to the cross. And if you read back, I'm not going to ask you to turn there this morning, but you can write some of these references down. You know the story. He whips out his sword and Peter cuts off the ear of Malchus, the high priest, and Jesus reaches down and He takes the man's ear, the very man that's about to put handcuffs on him, and lead him to a place he did not want to go, called the cross, for you and me, so we could experience forgiveness of sin. See, Peter couldn't see far enough. He's only seeing in the very immediate, and he wasn't thinking about the life of Malchus. He wasn't thinking, Malchus needs the Lord too. He wasn't thinking that, that maybe this, this man needs the same grace that I have experienced. And Jesus comes down after Peter whips out his sword in arrogance and he cuts the man's ear off. Oh, and Jesus reaches down and puts it back on and heals the man that very night. Uh, and he basically would just look at Peter oh, with, with a look. I couldn't imagine when, when the Son of God looked at you, what that must have felt like. Oh, when you was young growing up and your, your daddy looked at you a certain way and you knew, you just knew. Nothing had to be said. I believe Jesus just had that type of personality. He, he had that type of effect on these men. There was just probably a look. And then as we go on, and after that night, you know, uh, Jesus is, is sitting around at this fire. They're getting ready to take Him into this council. And, and they're beating Him. They're spitting on Him. They're pulling out His beard. And then here is... A group of people, a lady recognizes him, says, but aren't you one of his disciples? Haven't we? We've we've seen you before, man. You're you're one of his converts, been been following him around. And Peter's like, No, no, it's it's not me. And somebody else recognizes him out of the crowd. Here's the Son of God within earshot, standing right in front of him. Think about this. He just whipped out his sword and cut a man's ear off to defend him. And, and he's already told the Lord, he says, I'll, I'll defend you wherever that you go. Lord, this, this death isn't going to fall upon you. I'm, I'm going to be there for you no matter what. And here he is. The Lord already told him, he said, before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me, Peter. And now here he's in this very place. Now he has an opportunity to show what he had been preaching through all this time, Right? And now here he is. It, the day has come for, for Peter to be able to manifest the love of God. And here someone else from the crowd says, aren't you, aren't you that one disciple? No, no, it's not me. And here's Jesus by just standing there as they're beating him, as they're spitting on him and all these things. And here Peter, he's coming in and out of the, of the light of the fire and finally, a third person recognizes him and says, yeah, that's him. That's one of those uh, disciples. That's, that's Peter. And he actually cusses and uses language. He says, oh, I'm not that guy. He says, and, and, he, and he goes into these, this extreme to try to defend himself. And then he hears the cock crow. And then instantaneously, his mind goes to remember the words of the Lord. And the Scripture says that he left that place bitterly weeping. There's other instances in the Word of God with Peter. <coughs> Peter's not the only one, but I guess uh, 
the Lord had seen fit for him to use Peter for this example, maybe more so uh, than the others, because there's something out of this of his life that we can glean from. And each time you see Peter fail, it's catastrophic. And it seems like it's just we look we look at it and we're like, oh man, how could he ever do that? And then we don't even look at our own life to realize how much we fail at times, even worse than what this man had. But in Matthew chapter 15, we find Jesus. And here's a message that's preached about, this is when He's walking on the water, right? There's this big storm in Matthew chapter 15. And you can read back through the account. And they're out. Jesus actually tells them, after He gets them feeding 5,000 people, He tells them, He says, look, I want you all to get on the boat and go to the other side. And this storm comes up in the middle of the night. And then... They see they're all, they're all afraid and they're all terrified that they're not going to get from point A to point B when the Son of God was the one that actually told them, you get in the boat and go to the other side. Well, I would say when the Son of God, the Creator of the universe, tells you something, you can take it to the bank. There's no question if I'm going to get to the other side or not. But here's this storm that comes up. And they're terrified. And here they see Jesus is walking on the water. He looks like a ghost, the Scripture says. They're scared to death. And He tells them, He says, look, just calm yourself. It's going to be alright. It's me. And we know the account. Peter says, Lord, if it's really You, and tell me to come walk on the water with You. Right? And He says, well, come on. So what's He do? He gets out of the boat by Himself. A boat that they perceive to be sinking. He leaves everyone else that's in the boat with him. And he's so selfish. He jumps out of a sinking ship to leave how many other men die in the sea because he's special. He gets out on the water and what happens? He starts to lose his focus. Well, I can't help but think this is an example. The Lord's trying to show him something. If he had been worried about the other people in the boat with him, how could he have ever taken his mind off from Christ? Because as he's, his love for Christ is being poured out by his love for others, so he's worried about rescuing these people. Why? Because, look, it's Jesus, guys. This boat's sinking, but he's here. Here, come follow me. He's taking him by the hand. This is the way. Come on, let's go out onto the water. And he's focusing on these people to come to Jesus you know, but that wasn't Peter. Peter was more focused on himself. He's more focused on, on saving himself. And he was more focused upon what his relationship looked like with the Lord and not somebody else. Oh, I, can't, I can't stand here and, and, and say that uh, you know, Peter, Peter would have never sank had he brought some others with him. Because the Scripture don't say that. We have one context to go off from and we can't change the form. But I believe that there's a truth there that God was trying to show. To show us a little more deeper than what we look at. it. You know, we hear that we're supposed to step out on faith and walk on the water. Well, what does that look like? Who's coming with you? Oh, are we supposed to just step out and blaze a trail through life alone and leave everyone else? To perish behind us? Um, in 1 Peter 3.15, the Lord says that we're to sanctify the Lord our God in our heart and be ready to give an answer for our faith. John 
17 through 18, he says, to sanctify them, Lord. The word sanctify means to set apart. Set apart your, yourself to the Lord. He says, by your truth, your word is the truth. Peter had had the word of God descend upon him for the past three years of Christ's ministry. He'd listened to the words, not of Jeremiah Jeffers, not of Billy Graham, not of not that I would even equate myself to someone of that caliber, but not to some, not to some evangelist or pastoral minister in, in the community, but the Son of God. The Word of God made flesh right in front of you. And he still could not get it. So, I don't want you to take this message as a beating session because there's grace in this letter. Because if Peter can find himself there, and he was with the Son of God in the flesh, and here we're, we're with him in the Spirit through the power of the Holy Ghost, do we not think that we won't find ourselves in that place at times? But there's hope today. There's hope as there was for Peter. Because see, somewhere along Peter's life after this account in John 21, and it was, some say, about 50 days before Pentecost, before their meeting in the upper room, the 120, and the Holy Spirit descended upon the body of Christ as Jesus had promised. Peter goes from this self-centered place of worship. It's all about me. Even though he loved the Lord, there's no denying that Peter did not love the Lord because of the things that he done. We know he wanted to be with the Lord, but the Lord was trying to get something out of Peter that he couldn't he couldn't yet see is is I want you to be with me, but I want you to take somebody with you to me by me working through you that helps authenticate my life and my love and that's what the church was designed to do. The church was not designed just to close its doors up to certain groups of people, you see, and for us to establish a set of four walls around a group of, of loving Christians that's got it all together and they've got it all figured out. You know? And so we look and when we turn, we look at others the way that Peter looked at John and we look at them and we say, well, what about, what about him? Oh, you call me to this place of sacrifice, but so-and-so gets to live however they want. And the Lord says, it's not about them, Peter. This is about you. This is about me. And when me and you are together, everyone else around you will come together through you. Jesus. It's about an agape love. See, this is why... This is why that I can frequent the doors of a discipleship ministry in Dixon with a group of drug addicts that don't have it all together. Why? Because I was once a drug addict in the same place they was, and an alcoholic, and was going nowhere in life, and God miraculously touched my life. Where I can walk into a place like that, or people can come in to the house of God as you are, because that's how I come to Christ. And when we look at them, we can look at them with different eyes. It's not an eye of judgment. It's with an eye of love. As you see, there's something that I want to, for the close of this message, of what happened. That uh, You know the night when Peter was denying Jesus? At the end, in Luke 22:61, if you look this up, it says, the Lord turned and looked. Same, the same word, as when Peter turned to look at John, 
in the midst of one of Peter's greatest failings, the Lord turns and gazes at his direction. But you know something? The way the Lord looked at Peter was not the same way that you and me would look at Peter if it was us in that position. Jesus saw not Peter's failure, he's seen his potential for something more. So if you don't get anything else out of this message, I want you to get this. How is your look today? Can you see past the superficial circumstances and problems in life on somebody through into their soul to see their potential of what God would love to do in and through their life as He wants to do in each and every one of us. Jesus. Hmm. See, because when we have a church that's able to see through the eyes of Christ, then you have a church that's able to share the love of Christ to where people can feel welcome. People can feel at home among a body of believers because of Christ in us. You know, I've been in bodies of worship to where if you come in a certain way or dressed a certain way or people knew something about your, your life, that there was a certain stigma, something in the, in the mind of people that, 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 pushed, them, that pushed them away. And, and there's always this, this standoff. I felt it in my own life, especially when I was in my mess and my chaos and my addiction and I tried to frequent the house of God at times. People knew who I was. So there was always this, this wall. Very few people ever tried to draw me close. And yeah, that's that that's that push pull. He's like, Jeremiah, there was a time in my life through my recovery in the Lord removing certain things from my life that become a lifestyle that I become abrasive. I push so hard against certain things that I knew had a, had a catastrophic effect on my life. And in that process, I pushed so hard that I would rarely draw people close. And he's like, Jeremiah, it's you're unbalanced. You're unbalanced in your spiritual walk because it's good to push away things that's unrighteous and unholy to not become attached to your life. But in the same process, you have to be able to love the unrighteous and the unholy as I have loved you. And that's when you start to pull them in. So see, you push against the things that's against the Lord, but you pull the person in towards you to be able to love them, to embrace them, for them to be able to experience the same love and the same forgiveness that you have church if we could ever get this see we're getting ready to move into revival November 2nd through the 5th right out here in the front yard we got all these guest speakers that's coming down for what? We've been meeting on Friday nights in this sanctuary praying for, for the power of God to come and to fall in our community and our church. Why do we do that? Because we want people to be able to experience God on a level that maybe they've never been able to experience Him before. See, it's God's love that draws people to Himself. It's not just the letter. Oh, our, our commission is to go out and beat the world for the sin and beat the world for the failings and things in life. No, we're to preach the truth. It's become part of us. Oh, 
It's part of our identity by our life lived, by how we live our life, and that can be our greatest testimony. We don't always have to tell people what time it is. Right? We don't always have to pull out our watch. When we know what time it is in their life, we don't always have to be the one voicing what time it is. Right? Because a mature person can have a you have a quietness about you. There's there's sometimes it's better off not to say anything than it is to start implementing and, and putting ourselves in places that only God can go. See? And I believe that over a process of time that sometimes we can miss. Miss the mark. And I believe even in ministry, as you listen, I've done it in my, my own life, but I can listen to, to some messages online and things, and you hear there's just this frustration and anger. It's almost like a hate coming out, a, a venomous just word exploding out of the Word of God, just, just trying to annihilate and tear down everything that's, that's unholy and unrighteous that we see going on in our society. And we classify sin like there's different levels and different classification. Look, if you're a liar, the Scripture says you're just as bad as a murderer. If you're talking about people behind their back, you're just as bad as the homosexual. If you're, if, or, or a drug addict or alcoholic, there's no difference. It says we're all the same. So, so what's so miraculous is, is the love of Jesus Christ through the cross gives us restoration back to God that we don't deserve. Why? Because the Father can't look upon sin. When we're born into sin... As the Scripture says, there's none righteous, no, not one. How are we made righteous? It's through Jesus. It's through Jesus being lived through our life that we can put on a new garment. See? Then we experience this Word, what Jesus tells Peter, look, in your younger days, you've done what you wanted. Now as you become older and more mature, I'm going to allow people to grab you up and to pull you in directions that you would rather not go. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to have them pull you. You're going to be going into areas and into places where there's such chaos. You don't want to be there. You'd rather just stay clear away. But God has you there for a specific mission to share the love of God with somebody in that place. But see, when we're constantly pushing against it, and we say, we're not going to go to the homeless shelter in Henderson because they're all a bunch of nut jobs. That if, they, if they didn't screw their life up, and if they didn't make the decisions that they made, they wouldn't even be there. I'm not going to go into the discipleship ministry or teen challenge or a drug program because those fools, if they would have had it together like I've had it together, and, and if they wouldn't have done the things that they've done, they have to realize there's consequence. So I'm not going to go into that place. And you hear that sometimes that's not, the, that's not the actual words that come out of people's mouth, but it might as well be. Because their countenance and their lifestyle and how they live shows all of it. Right? Sometimes you don't ever have to say anything. People just know what's in your heart and what you feel as soon as you come into contact with them. Those are the places Jesus went. They were always looking at Jesus like, why are you eating with a bunch of sinners? All these religious Pharisees and these scribes that knew so much about the Word of God. Why are you going into His house and eating dinner? Don't you know that person? Absolutely. 
Jesus knew the person. That's why He was there. Jesus. So what are we going to do in November when we have a tent out here on the front yard and you've got groups of people that's coming in that don't look like you? Huh? What if they are dressed in the same? What if their hairstyle isn't the same? What if, what if everything about their life isn't like nothing that you've ever seen before? I'm going to ask you something. What's, what's the gaze going to look like from you that they see through your eyes? What's the person on the street when we're, at our, when we're working in our job? What about in our own family? What do they see in your eyes when you look at them? Can they see Jesus? Jesus. That's what he's trying to get to Peter. He says, you've got a lot of things together, Peter. You, you, know, you know a lot about the Word. You, you know about ministry. You've, you've experienced ministry. I've even, I've even used you in ministry, but I want to take you to something more, Peter. So he keeps over and over these, these things. And it wasn't until in the book of Acts that you see some 50 days later when Peter is standing before a group of people and thousands of people come to know the Lord as their personal Savior and fall on their knees before a holy God and repent of their sin because of something that come out of Peter, some unlikely subject, somebody that you would think God couldn't use in that capacity because of his language, because of how he would speak because of how he would act. He was, he was a man of impulse. He, man, his lips just flew open on a whim. I'm guilty of that myself. There's times I don't say the things that I want to say. And I think, or I say the things, uh, you know, that's, uh, that after I said it, I wish I could just take it back, but I can't, you know. And the Lord's still growing me through that process. But I'm amazed at how God can take something that's so broken and something that's that as the world looks at it, you would think that, there, that there's no possible way that the God can use someone like this, you know, that's, that's done this in life or been through these situations to be able to speak to a group of people about the power and the love of God. You're looking at Him standing right before you this morning. Jesus, I desire for my life to be a testimony to somebody of what the power of God can do. That's just like those men down there in Dixon. There's 40-something men down there right now, not including the women's ministry in the juvenile boys' home. Oh, of men that's in a place that the world would look at as there's no hope. Oh. There's their families gone. Their kids have been ripped from them. They've got legal problems stacked from here to China. And there's no way God could ever move in that situation and in that individual's life. But there is. There, God, how God operates is not the same way that man operates. But with God, all things are possible. Jesus. I'm just asking for you to look this morning deep within your heart to see if there's anything that was part of Peter that's part of you as we move into these next chapters for our church, oh, that we're able to come together 
to see if we have the capacity to love the unlovable. See, if we can't love the unlovable, we have nothing. Jesus. It's all about His love. And I thank God for the love that Christ has bestowed upon me and my family. And I pray that each and every day that you can experience Him more and more as I desire to experience Him more and more in my personal life. Thank you.